Cutting through an overload of information to get to the heart of the story. This is The Point. As early as the 15th century, China and the Philippines established close ties through the Maritime Silk Road. During this time, a large goodwill mission led by Sulu King from what is now the southern Philippines plowed through the Pacific Ocean to China and paid tribute to the emperor of the Ming Dynasty. More than 600 years have passed. The economic and trade ties as well as cultural exchanges between the two countries have never been cut off. Today we're going to trace along this earliest voyage route for economic cooperation, explore the shared cultural memories and figure out how does Maritime Silk Road carry the memories of the two countries through generations. How does it feel to be an inheritor of those precious memories. To shed light on this remarkable story spanning six centuries, I'm pleased to be joined here in the studio by Princess Jaisel Kiram, the descendant of Sulu King and the co-founder and president of the International Center for Peace, Reconciliation and Development, or ICPRD. Princess Kiram, welcome to The Point. Thank you for having me here. First of all, I'd like to greet everyone. Greetings of peace. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi ta'ala wabarakatuh. Thank you. Uh, first of all, let's talk about your trip because September the 13th is the anniversary of uh, this, um, the passing away of uh, the Sulu king in 1417. So that's 606 years later. It's a story that's not known to many, many people. How did it all start? Well, the story of Sultan Batara and Emperor Yongle started 104 years before the Spaniards named us Philippines. In our history books, uh, we were discovered in 1521. But the story of Sultan Batara, the tomb in Dejo, is a testament that Sulu was once a great nation and that the, the so-called discovery and that when we were discovered, they were saying that we were savages. We had nothing. The tomb of Sultan Batara, his visit here uh, to Emperor Yongle, is a testament that we had a government, we had diplomatic relations, and that we can navigate from Sulu all the way to China. In and those days? In those days when technology is not yet as high-tech yeah, as uh, yeah. what we have now. Let's give people a geographical idea of exactly what we're talking about, <laughs> right? Sulu is in southern Philippines yes. in the Mindanao area. And uh, it is thousands of miles, I would say, if you, if you go by sea. We reenacted the voyage yes. in 2018. Mm -hmm. So they made a re the boat like the ones that was used by Sultan Batara in uh, 1417. And they took them how many days, like three days via boat, I'm, I'm not sure, three or five days from Manila port all the way to Xiamen. Xiamen is in the uh, southern China seaboard and... It's nearer the Philippines, I it's think. Yeah, it's close but to... But the, the reenactment, uh, just, they just stop in that port of Xiamen. But in the olden days, Sultan Batara brought with him 300 people and they visited Emperor Yongle. It was a very brave, long travel. He braved the seas 
So the, the two countries known each other, my understanding was that the um, great navigator from the Ming Dynasty by the name of Zheng He, he actually led six, seven voyages to East Asia, Southeast Asia, uh, Southern Asia, all the way to East Africa. And, and along the way, he visited 30 some countries, including Sulu. Mm -hmm. And then the Sultanate of Sulu established a relationship with the Ming Dynasty, and then they sent this delegation of 300 people, as you mentioned, to visit the Ming, uh, Ming Dynasty Emperor. Is that uh, a visit in, in, in return? Yes, because during that time there was trading already, and there were Chinese traders in Sulu. Cheng Ho is known up to now by the old people of Sulu. It's just that we have no written accounts about Cheng Ho. It's all oral. The history of the Taosud people are all oral mm -hmm. history transferred to generation to generations. Mm -hmm. During that time, according to the old people of Sulu, the Sultan of Sulu decreed that they have to protect the traders. So Chinese traders are being protected during that time because the edict was uh, if one Chinese will be harmed, 10,000 heads will roll. Mm -hmm. that's, that's an exaggeration mm -hmm. of how the Sultan wants to protect uh, the traders, because trading is important. It boosts, it helps their economy. Mm. So through that, he was able to, maybe messages came all the way, I don't know what happened, but maybe messages, it, it reached the emperor, how the sultan protects the Chinese while trading in Sulu. Maybe they received an invitation, that's why they went to China and bringing gifts to the emperor. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, when he went home, passing through the uh, Shandong uh, River. Passing the Shandong um, province in eastern China in Dezhou City. Yes, in Dezhou City. He was ill before they passed through that area. But on that area, he passed away. And when the emperor learned that, he gave Sultan Batara an emperor-like burial. So the two sons of Sultan Batara decided to protect and uh, take care of the tomb and they decided to be in China to protect the tomb. Mm. The emperor gave them everything they need for them to establish a community mm. in Dejo. Mm. And the story was told to me by the uh, head of Beng village. He's a Ma, the last name is Ma, and the Ma, according to him, was tasked by the emperor to take care of the needs of uh, the descendants who decided to stay in China, in wow. Dejo. You know, this story gave me goosebumps when, when I hear it. First of all, that we actually didn't know about this history, that there was this uh, Muslim of a foreign king in China. Actually, I found out that this is one of very few. Um, some say there are only two such cases. So this is a very special place. And then um, this was 600 years ago, and the tomb is very well preserved, I understand. What is your observation when you visit the, the tomb, not just of the deceased king, Sultan, but also of his wife, who stayed, right, who stayed in China, and his two descendants? How, what is the condition of their mausoleum? The mausoleum is still intact. Um, we went 600 there, years later. Yes, 606 years later, to mm. be exact. We were just there September 13. We had a meeting with the An and the Wen family. 
uh, the descendants, my relatives in China, and they said there were some challenging stages in the preservation of the tomb because in 1960s, I think, the old Anne said the generation before them uh, really took care of the tomb. They bravely guarded the tomb because that was a time when there was chaos yes. in China yeah. and that relics or proof mm -hmm. of history is being destroyed. Yeah. So they took turns to guard the tomb. Mm -hmm. And I told them, mm -hmm. uh, with that story, that bravery shows that you really have a Taosug blood. Because Taosugs, or the Sulu people, are known to be very brave people. So you talk about this people who are surnamed Anne and people who are surnamed Wen. Um, I understand that these are the descendants of the two sons yes. of deceased Sultan who stayed behind to look after the tomb and they married obviously, they mingled with the local people. So you actually have relatives here in, on the Chinese mainland. <laughs> how, 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 how numbered are they? How many are they, do you know? Well, they said they are numbering to 3,000, mm. more or less, mm. uh, Chinese descendants of Sultan Batara. Mm. And what's funny is that I do not understand them, but I feel so at home mm. in Dejo. And just this morning, we visited the An in their community in Changying. And as if we know, we have known each other for such a long time, but as a matter of fact, I've just seen them twice during 2017 and my today's visit. It's blood I, connection. I think so, because I was really so comfortable. The oldest Anne is a woman, mm. and she looks like my mother-in-law, and the height is just like my mother-in-law's. Mm. <laughs> so I told my husband, your relatives here are looking for you. <laughs> How about the way of life? I mean, the, the bloodline is obviously there, but look, you believe in um, Islam and, and those descendants, how do they live? Are they able to keep the Muslim tradition, live a Muslim life? Surprisingly, yes. And they speak Arabic and they know the prayers mm. because in the tomb we did some praying for the dead and a lot of them are Muslims so they live in a district where 80% in that housing area are Muslims and they said that their government really protected them. Mm. What does it mean for you to come and pursue this history and to let more people raise awareness about this history? Um, this is not your first visit to the tomb, to the mausoleum. You were here in 2017 for the first time when that was the 600th anniversary. What makes you so passionate about, about this piece of history? This actually promotes uh, unity. This actually promotes people-to-people -people, um, exchanges between Sulu, now, Philippines, for that matter, Philippines and China. The story of Sultan Batara and Emperor Yongle is about friendship that started 1417. So it's a long history that we, we Philippines and China, share together. And this story brings pride to every Taosug or Sulu people. But not just only to the Sulu people, it brings pride to every Filipino people, knowing that in 1521, when we were discovered, it's not true that we came from nothing because we had a government in the form of the Sultanate of Sulu. 
that was graciously received as an equal by the emperor during the, the Ming Dynasty. So your history was not defined by the colonizers <laughs> when you were discovered by them. Yeah. So what do you, how do you plan to tell this story? Uh, I understand you plan to um, maybe write children's books yes. or, you know, how, how do you plan to let more people understand this? A lot of people uh, from the Philippines have been to the tomb already and everybody who knew the story had a goosebump and somehow felt a sense of pride in the story of Sultan Batara. But I think uh, the most that would benefit from this story are the, our next generation. So we have to uh, let them know that this is their story also, that they came from some, they, they had a glorious past and that they had a, a leader in the past that, that gave importance already to international relations, to diplomatic relations, so that they will continue um, that friendship, that bond that was established in uh, 1417. Mm. I think if you tell this story to children uh, about the story of kings, princesses, emperors, they will always remember that. Mm. And it will give them sense of pride as young as they are, mm. knowing that they came from these roots. We have to be honest, it is a, a tricky period of time for relationship between China and the Philippines, for obvious reasons we all know. But you took the bold step, you took the brave step to not only uh, advocate for better relations with China, you're here, you know, you embrace your, your relatives in, in Shandong. Um, why do you want to do that? What is your belief when countries' relations are complicated, what can you do as a princess? You know, politics is temporary. What's important is the, is the relationship that is established by people. So this is a people-to-people -people relationship. Uh, the reason why I'm doing this is because I want the Filipino people to find pride in this story. Because this, is, this story tells about the glorious past of the Filipino people. What impact will it have for knowing this story for the ordinary Philippines, for the people in, in Sulu, for instance? What specific impact do you think it's going to bring them? Because right now people are very much focused on economics, on livelihood. Well, this also can open economic cooperation because you will not be business partners if you do not trust each other. This story will establish trust in relationship in relating with Chinese people, Chinese people relating to Filipino people, because they have bond that started 606 years ago. Right now, um, what do you think is, is missing and how do you do to, to bridge this understanding gap? Do you think there is a, a trust gap, an understanding gap among the people? Well, I think with the ordinary people, there's no problem. It's just in the higher ups, but it's not my problem. I mean, I just want to retell this part of history. I just, this is mm -hmm. to correct also historical injustices done to the Mindanao people, the Sulu people. Because when you speak of Sulu, the only thing that people know is that there are uh, rebel groups in that area, that the area is not safe. But when you come to think of it, this story doesn't only tell how 
advanced Sulu was in 1417. This also tells about the character of the Taosug people, that we are friendly people, and we are kind people, and brave to brave the seas all the way to China. So it may be uphill, but I find hope in children. I want them to know this story, and it will be their story, and it's going to be for their future. So it's up to them how to strengthen the bond between uh, two countries. Yeah. You also had other itinerary on your visits here. It's quite an extensive yeah. visit. What has been your takeaway? Having you know traveled China in in different places, you took the high speed railway. What is not known in the Philippines that you 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 want to highlight here? Actually, I'm just going to talk about my experience. The first time I was invited to China, I was thinking, well, we have Chinatown in the Philippines, yeah, but it's a it's a small, messy, and so crowded place. So, in the plane, I was thinking. Well, I was expecting that it's going to be a very big, like a Chinatown in the when Philippines. When was this? In 2017 of April. Oh, so that was your first trip? Yes. Wow. April. But when I landed in Shanghai, it was magnificent. Mm. <laughs> I've been to Europe. I've been to the U.S. It's, it's, almost, it's equal. Mm. And Shanghai, according to them, is like Paris. It is. It's the city of full of lights. And then in May of 2017, I was able to visit Beijing. It's different. <laughs> it's then a beautiful country. Is it different from what you expected, what you were yes. reading about? <laughs> this is a beautiful country. And people here, even if you do not understand them, they're kind people. They're very hospitable. And they're very gracious hosts. I don't understand Chinese, Mandarin. I'm learning to. But until now I can't speak and can't understand but the language of the body the smile mm. I feel so welcome and very comfortable good I'm, I'm, I'm happy to hear that I'm really happy to hear that did you also have the opportunity to veer off the the beaten track you know the big cities but also go to less travel or maybe less developed areas and uh, get a more multi-dimensional understanding of the country for instance in Shandong in the villages yes I've been to Shandong my first visit here I went to I landed in Shanghai we went to Shandong and visit Dezhou city Dezhou city in 2017 is not this uh, developed yet but I was so surprised when we visited just days ago. It was so developed and it was a beautiful city. Changed a lot. Yes, in, changed uh, a lot in just a few years, mm -hmm. six years to be exact. Mm -hmm. And my, my, the people who were with me, three of them are first timers also in China. So just like me, they expected the opposite and were surprised and were happy to to experience mm, yeah. China. So what do you think needs to be done? I mean, obviously, um, the China that you've experienced is very different from the China that is thought to be you know, <laughs> in, in the Philippines. What do you think can be done to help more people understand? Well, I think more trips to China. <laughs> we invite more guests here or the people who have been here will, of course, retell what they have experienced in China. 
Filipinos and Chinese are same in matters like in treating families, treating elders, because we have high respect to elders. It's our elders who always decide. I hope that will continue because nowadays a lot of our youngs are influenced by the media and wanting their freedom when, you know, parents must decide for their children. That's the belief in the olden times in the Philippines. But according to um, one friend of ours, he's very successful and he said that here in China, two generations are your responsibility. Two generations after you are your responsibility. So you shape their future. You think that is shared, that is very similar to... Yes, that's very similar because the very conservative Filipinos does that. They, we decide for children and I think I'm guilty of that. I want to decide for my own children because when I was in during those age, I don't know. I don't know what to do. So if you just let them, they might end up, you know, choosing the wrong one. But they said, let them learn from their mistakes. <laughs> So this is very interesting. So does that show that we actually have very similar culture and very similar values being, I don't know, Asians, that the, we value family, yes. and we value unity. The family, love for food, very gracious uh, host, very uh, warm welcome, the giving of gifts. We do that all the time. Like we, we call that pasalubong when you go to when you uh, arrive from somewhere else from a trip, you bring pasalubong. That's mm. a gift, a present. The Chinese too. Chinese do that. <laughs> <laughs> we have a lot of things that we share. We have a lot of things we share. And I do, do feel, I don't know, the story that tells me is it's a friendly relationship that China had in history with its southeastern neighbors instead of uh, the kind of oh, I'm the center of the world and, you know, you are all kind of uh, smaller than I am. That's what, what the story told me. The, the, the emperor of the Ming Dynasty treated the, the countries in Southeast Asia with respect. Yes, that's, yes. That's what, what I took away from I it. see that. I see that in the story of Batara, Sultan Batara and Emperor Yongle. This story is, actually, this is not much about China, actually, because... This story rooted from Sulu. The descendants' roots here are from Sulu, from the Philippines. Mm -hmm. it's, uh, China adopted them. <laughs> They're just adopted sons and daughters of China, but they took care of them. And this is written in, their Chinese, in, the, in China history, yeah. and it is not in the Philippines, unfortunately. But hopefully, you know, it's not yet the end of time. Uh, <laughs> I, I learned this when I was doing my thesis in mm. college. Um, Princess Kiram, you served as Deputy Chief of Mission for Team Philippines at the previous Asian Games in Indonesia. Now, uh, the 19th Asian Games is being held in Hangzhou, China. What are your expectations this time? Well, well I expect, of course, that the athletes from the Philippines will contribute to the medal tally of the Philippines. <laughs> and that, you know, I always tell this to my athletes that uh, winning medals is not, must not be their main objective. Well, it's an icing to the cake if you do really train hard. But what's important in participating in regional games is to establish 
friendship with people mm. uh, because it you know sports can promote diplomacy uh, diplomatic relations among yes. countries yeah. and what's important is always the people to people relationship mm. and you're also the president of the Silat Sports Association yes it's a Malay martial arts the uh, it originated from Indonesia okay Will the, will the Filipino team be participating? Oh, unfortunately, no. Uh, we're not part of this Asian Games uh, because there's politics also in sports. <laughs> but in the previous Asian Games, we were part, and we just uh, had the Sea Games. We participated in the Southeast Asian Games. Okay, okay. Well, I would love to learn more about Filipino martial arts. There appears to be very different, many different kinds. Indeed, the region is very diverse in terms of culture and sports. Yeah, Penchak Silat is actually the combination of all martial arts. So you see kickboxing, boxing, karate in, in Penchak Silat. And uh, it's similar to, well, all martial arts are somehow similar because they have forms and combat. There are two categories, uh, the forms and combat. In forms, all the techniques are shown but with grace and balance. Mm. Well, I hope to, to be able to witness this uh, fantastic sport my, myself one day. What is the Chinese community in Philippines like? Uh, in Sulu, for instance, uh, how big are they? How important is their role in society? Well, in Sulu, there's a lot of, there's no like Chinese community, but there are a lot of Taosug people, Sulu people, who has uh, Chinese surnames. Even our governor, the, the father of Sulu's uh, last name, is Chinese. It's how, Tan. Uh -huh. <laughs> how come? Where do, how does that come from? Well, maybe because it? in the olden times, uh, it's, it, there's trading really between China and Sulu. Okay. And, you know, they, they fell in love with each other. <laughs> like they, like uh, the descendants of Sulu integrated yeah. here. <laughs> the Chinese integrated in Sulu. Yes. It's a, it's a lovely story. Of and in Sulu, there's also a Chinese cemetery. Chinese cemetery. Yes. So Chinese found their roots there. They took roots in that piece of land. Yes. <laughs> Thank you so much. And my guest has been Princess Jaisal Kiram, the descendant of Sulu King and the co-founder and president of the International Center for Peace, Reconciliation and Development. And with that, we come to the end of this special edition of The Point with me, Lushin. As always, you can follow me on Facebook and Twitter using the handle Lushin in Beijing. You've got The Point.